Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd, and your sheep hear your voice and you lead them. And I pray this morning that you would teach us about your guidance, about the blessing that it is to do ministry together with you, and some of the ways that you communicate with us. Help me now as I preach, and all of us, Lord, as we serve you. For I ask it in your holy name. Amen. Extending grace, discipling generations. That's our vision as a church. That's what we are trying to do at Grace Anglican Church. We're trying to extend the message of grace out and disciple generations. Uh, Particularly fitting this Sunday as we recognize youth that are graduating and college students that are graduating and are, are going out into the next phase of life. We're in this longer series here called Discipling Generations. So we're just focusing on the second half and it's motivated by the Great Commission which I hope by now you all know fairly well from Matthew 28 when Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's his final command to us. He wants us to go and make disciples. And last week I told you that a disciple is a learner or a student or an apprentice. And so on one hand, we're all always learning, but we're also called to help others learn. So we are called to disciple others. And in our church, we're discipling generations, those who are newer in the faith and also those who are younger than us. So I picked the text today because it's another example of discipleship happening. Today we've got Paul discipling Timothy, and then the Holy Spirit discipling both of them, Paul and Timothy. And if you think for a minute what a disciple is, it's a learner, but what are the marks of that learning? And I've used Mark's gospel where Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men as a simple definition. A disciple is someone who has heard the call to come and follow Jesus and has converted. They're a Christian. They've, they're choosing to serve the Lord as a Christian and that they're surrendering to Jesus, making them into something else. Come follow me and I will make you, Jesus says. So he is sanctifying us, making us holy, making us more like himself. And then there's a third part, which is, I will make you fishers of men. This is the call to ministry, the call to mission, to go and make disciples. Jesus is in the business of bringing people into his kingdom, and he enlists us to join him. So a disciple has converted, is surrendered to the Holy Spirit's work of changing us, and has taken God's mission to be our mission in this world. Those are the things that a disciple does. And basically, we're going into the world, and we're helping answer the question, Who is this king? Who is the Lord? And how does his kingdom work? For the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is breaking in all around you. And many people don't have the eyes to see it. Many people don't want to be part of it. But Jesus is bringing his kingdom and he wants us to be part of that work with him. So in Acts chapter 16, if you want to follow along, it's page 924 in the Pew Bible. We have Paul going on his second missionary journey. And at the end of chapter 15, there's a fight. There's a conflict, an argument, a sharp dispute breaks out between Barnabas, the son of encouragement that we looked at last week, and Paul. Barnabas wants to take a guy named John Mark along. He was a younger guy, but on the first missionary journey, he got homesick and he abandoned those guys and left Paul and Barnabas and he went back to his hometown. And so Paul's like, no, I'm not taking that quitter with us this time. And Barnabas goes, no, but he's learning and bring him along. And it was such a big fight that they ended up parting ways. So Barnabas goes and gets John Mark and they go on one ministry mission. And then Paul gets somebody named Silas and takes him on a mission. And the mission is this. He says, hey, let's go back to the churches that we've preached the gospel in, uh, in those cities and encourage them and see how they're doing. 
That was it. That was the mission. We're going to go back up where we were, and we're going to share the gospel and encourage in those churches. So Paul and Silas do that, and they go from Antioch in Syria back up into the middle of Turkey. And if you'll put that map up there uh, on the screen, um, this is a map of the the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And I know you can't read the words from back there, so I put big circles to show where we are. The red circle is Antioch in Syria, where this mission is leaving from. Remember last week I said it's a launching platform for global missions. It's the first church that had done that. The first ministry mission trip of Paul went out from there, and now the second one does. And then what's interesting in this text is two new people get picked up. On the way, when he gets into the area of Derby and Lystra, he comes across a disciple named Timothy. That area is just below the yellow oval there. Um, and he meets this guy, Timothy, that the church speaks very well of. Timothy is this interesting guy because he's got a father who's Greek and a mother who's Jewish, which was somewhat unheard of. And Paul is going to go into cities where there are Jewish Christians, and he knows that they're going to stumble over the fact that Timothy's father is Greek. So what he does is he circumcises him so that it won't be a stumbling block for these Jewish Christians to be able to hear the rest of the message. Now, if you want to know, go read Galatians, and Paul says explicitly, circumcision does not matter. It has nothing to do with salvation. It's part of the old covenant. But the truth is, if you're going to go fishing, and I will make you fishers of men, you have to fish on the fish's terms, not yours. If you want to catch fish, you go when they are biting. If you want to catch fish at noon, you find none. If you go early in the morning, you're more likely to catch them. So in order to go into a place that has a lot of Jewish believers, Timothy agrees to being circumcised. And that just removes an obstacle. That's just part of making disciples. Now, the other thing that's interesting in this text is they pick up the author of Acts, Luke. It, if you'll, you have to pay attention to the pronouns. So in verse 8, or excuse me, verse yeah 8, it says, So passing by Mysia... They, they, notice that pronoun, they went down to Troas. Troas is on the most, um, if, you, if you look at that green circle, go up to the top and turn left as far as you can go inland. That's where Troas is. It's a coastal city on the western shore of modern-day Turkey. And then the pronoun changes in verse 10. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, they went, now we sought that's because Luke, the author of this, joins the mission. Paul meets him there in Troas, and he becomes part of the ministry. So on this mission trip, Paul's picked up two disciples. It was Paul and Silas, and now there's Timothy and Luke with them. Now, what I think is most important in this is not only is Paul discipling those two guys, but Paul's a learner too, a student too, and the Holy Spirit is discipling all of them. You see, what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to go into what he calls Asia. That's the green oval. Can't think Asia like our maps today show. Not the whole continent. Don't think India. Don't think the Far East. Asia Minor, which is basically Western Turkey in those days. He wants to go over where like Ephesus is and those cities that are talked about in the book of Revelation. But it tells us here, it says in verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, which is in the middle of Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Paul wants to go into the green circle and the Holy Spirit forbids them. And then he's like, well, if we can't go there, let's go up to the north. So the area is called Bithynia, the yellow circle. He tries to go up there. And then it says, so passing by Mysia, uh, so then it says, sorry, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them as they attempted to enter into Bithynia. 
No. Well, where are we going to go? We're blocked here. We're blocked here. So they go right between those two and they get to Troas. Then in a vision in the night, as Paul's sleeping, he gets a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And in the morning, they collude together and talk about this vision and they discern God wants us to take the gospel into Europe. So crossing over the Aegean Sea, they go into basically Greece. So it's Macedonia. So they go over into Macedonia and they start ministering all up and down in that area. This is the first time the gospel has gone into Europe. And this is the Holy Spirit leading them. Now, I am encouraging you to learn about God's guidance in your life. If you're going to disciple generations, if you're going to help others grow, you've got to learn to hear God's guidance. There is a high value that I place on the personal relationship with the Lord. You hear me say that this is not just a religion, it's a relationship. And to have a relationship, you have to communicate. Think of any relationship in your life. There is some form of communication. Talking, emailing, texting, being in one another's presence, whatever it might be, there's communication, sometimes nonverbal. You communicate if you're going to have a relationship. And we all have to have that with God. We all need it. We were made for it. We need to hear from God. Pastors talk about being called into ministry. I believe every Christian is called to the work that they do. I want all of you to recognize God's call on your life in the season that you're in. What is his call? Do you know what that is? Now, there are various ways of hearing. In this text, we see the Holy Spirit restricting. In fact, there's a double restriction. Can't go into the yellow area. Can't go into the green area. And then there is a positive guidance. A dream says, go over here into Europe, into Macedonia. And then there is a conversation with Christians. So they collude together and they discern, this is God. He wants us to go across the waterway and go into Macedonia and take the gospel over there. That's in verse 10. It says, and they, we, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding, is the word, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, John Stott, one of my favorite authors, points something out about divine guidance. He says, from this text, we may learn that God's guidance is not only negative, but also positive. Sometimes he shuts a door, other times he opens it. It's not circumstantial only, but also rational, thinking about the situation. So sometimes, yes, there is a circumstance that stops you from being able to do what you want, and you think maybe God's doing that, but it's also rational. You think through, and through the reasoning of the human mind in community, you learn what God is saying. And then, go, and then Stock goes on and says, it's not personal only, but also corporate. It's the body of believers discerning together what God's will is. We see them coming to a conclusion Stott says, so that we can mull over these, um, this, the data with others and then reach a common mind. Now, I want you to recognize something, that all of that requires an inner voice. So how do you know that it's not just a normal dream? How do you know that it's God giving you that dream? There's an inner voice that says, hey, Paul, pay attention to this one. This isn't you generating this. This is me giving you this vision, this man of Macedonia. And then the guys get together and they all talk about this. There's an inner voice where they all start to go, yeah, this sounds like the Holy Spirit. God is leading us here and that inner voice is speaking. Now here's the tension that you feel as I'm talking about this, I'm guessing, because so many do. There are tons of examples on one hand in the scriptures, down through church history, in people's lives that you know. You've heard people say, God told me, and you think, what, how's that work? So there's 
tons of examples, and then there's tons of ignorance about how his voice actually works, about how his guidance is given. Now, I want to start by saying there are a couple of errors around this topic. One error is to say that God just doesn't speak. He no longer speaks, and many people assume that, and they have no reason to. There's nothing in the Scripture that says, now that the canon is closed and you have the 66 books of the Bible, you need no more word from God. Just read his word. Well, there's nowhere that says that. There's no reason to think God doesn't speak. The other, if you want to swing the pendulum the other way, there are people that think, I need God's guidance for every step of everything. Think for a minute about a kid growing up. If by the time you are graduating from high school, if your mom and dad have to tell you to brush your teeth and to get your cereal and put your dish in the sink and be on the bus by 645 or whatever, if, if mom has to tell you all those things, that's not good. Your parents want you to figure this out on your own now and be able to do it. It's the same with the Lord. He doesn't want to have to tell you every step of the way. He actually wants you to do the things that you know he wants you to do without having to be told. Does that not sound like a parent? Why do I always have to tell you to fill in the blank? Now, he doesn't do it with that kind of sarcasm. That's me. <laughs> but there are some people who think, I don't know which way to go. How am I going to do this? Do I go right or left? Well, I, I think there's a ton of freedom in the will of God. Think for a minute about babysitting somebody's kids. You might be totally happy with them playing in the backyard anywhere. They could play in the sandbox. They could be on the jungle gym. They could be kicking the soccer ball around. But you don't want them outside of the yard in the road, right? There's permission within an area. Now, I'm using kids as an example, but think bigger. Which college should you go to? Which job should you take? Who should you marry? How do you know where to live? Which house to buy? All of these questions, there's a ton of freedom. And some people think, ah, oh, I need God to tell me. I don't want to get it wrong. And there's an unhealthy fear that comes in when God says, I give you choice. Do what seems good to you. Now, occasionally, he steps in and says, no, I'm closing that door. Sometimes he, he does actually say, I don't want you to take that job. That one's bad. And he, he will do that, but not all the time. So you don't want to fall into the error of thinking, if he doesn't say, go to this college, then I guess I, I can't go to college. No, you, you move forward, and we see Paul do, doing this. He wanted to go somewhere, and he was making a plan, and then the Lord redirected him. That doesn't mean he just sat there in Antioch waiting for God to tell him what to do. He knew generally what God wanted him to do, and so he made a plan and started going, and then God directed him as he was doing that plan. Let me ask you this question and be honest with yourself. When you read the Bible and you come across these accounts of God speaking to people, guiding them, giving them visions, giving them prophecies, all this stuff, do you automatically think, well, yeah, they're apostles. They're like famous Bible people. Of course God speaks to them like that. And then you say, I'm not like them. God speaks to Bible people like that. He doesn't speak to people like me like that. Do you think that? There is nothing in this book that would suggest God has changed how he interacts with his people. Yes, Paul's much more famous, and he's one of the great apostles, for sure. But God has been directing people forever. God's, that's what he does. Think about some of these promises in Scripture. John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them 
and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Or think about this one, John 15. Jesus says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Or Matthew 28. God gives that great commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And 28 verse 20, the last part of Matthew's gospel, he says, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. What good is him being with us if it's just theological? I know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere because he has to be everywhere because he fills up the creation. So I know God is with me, but that's not what he means. Of course he's here, but he's with you in the work. In fact, technically you're with him in the work. He's the one who's doing the work and he's inviting you to come along and be a co-laborer with him in that work. And if he's here with you, he will guide you. He will help you. Think about this quote from Dallas Willard. And by the way, if you want to read more about God's guidance and hearing God, Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, is excellent. He says this. This is his description of the meaning of life. So the meaning, of, the meaning and full purpose of your human existence. This is what it's for. It consists chiefly in a conversational relationship with God while we are each consistently and deeply engaged as his friends and co-laborers in the affairs of the kingdom of the heavens. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master's business is. I call you friends. We are called as God's friends to be co-laborers in the work, the affairs of the kingdom of the heavens. He wants us to understand how the kingdom of God works, and he wants us to join him in that kingdom work. And he guides us in it. And when we look at how he speaks, we learn a number of things. We have to recognize his voice. And what I'm going to share now is taken primarily from Dallas Willard. One thing about the voice, that inner voice that we hear, is there's a certain quality to it. It's helpful to recognize this because there are rival voices. Your own head gives yourself voices. You have thoughts. You think something, and you're like, where'd that come from? Sometimes it comes right from you. There's also an enemy who attacks and tempts and does the same by giving you ideas. And then there's the Lord who is speaking. How do you recognize one voice from another? Well, God's voice has a certain quality to it. There's a weight to it. It's self-authenticating. It's not argumentative or manipulative. It just simply speaks the truth and you go, oh, there's a gravity to that word. Years ago, Heather and I were in a prayer service and she heard, not audibly, but in her head, she heard, you and Mike are going to England too. That was it. But it came with that weight to it. And so then we prayed in that direction and we ended up going and living in England for three months to do this church study sabbatical thing that we did. There was a quality to that word. Another thing is that there's a certain spirit or vibe to it. It, it has a peaceful confidence. There's a joy and there's a goodness in it. Even if the word is a hard one, like when Ananias was told the word from God about Paul, go and show him, for he's going to carry my name before kings and governors, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That's a hard word, but it was a good word. It, Paul didn't take it as a burden. He took it as an honor that he got to do this work, and, re, and God was going to redeem his wayward life as a persecutor of the church. Now he gets to suffer for the kingdom. So it, it sometimes is a hard thing, but it always has a goodness to it because it's part of the work in the kingdom. So there's a certain peaceful confidence and a joy and a goodness about the voice of God, not a, a, a brooding sense of evil or whatever. 
and then the content of it. It will never contradict the written word of God. So I can tell you right now, if the voice says, go into your neighbor's house and take the beer out of their fridge, (laughs) I am 100% sure God is not telling you to steal. Why? Because his word says, thou shalt not steal. I can give you a hundred other examples, but I don't need to, because you know, you know what's in here, that it will never contradict what God has already told us from his word and also revealed to us in his character. So if we know that the Lord is patient and he's merciful and he's loving, his word will line up with those things. It'll be consistent with his character because it's him speaking. Now, some application points. Discipling others requires help. The Lord is in the work. That's why he says, I'm with you to the end of the age. This past week, I was so blessed to get three days alone. I went to Cedar Key, a church person loaned their house to me. I just, I brought my Bible and my journal because I felt like the Lord, he's often reminding me of this. I didn't just call you to work for me. I want you to work with me. And so I went there specifically not to write a sermon, not to get any of my normal work done, to just simply be with God and let him dictate where the time went and how we would use that time. Three days of solitude. And it was awesome. But as I was praying, I kept having a parishioner come to mind. A certain person who's a member of our church just kept coming to my mind. It kept coming to my mind. And at first, I was was like distracted by it. And then I went, wait a minute. All right, Lord, I'm sitting here with you, and I can't get this person out of my mind. So I'm going to pray for them. And I prayed for them, and then I sent a text to them. And I said, hey, I'm on a prayer retreat, and God keeps putting you on my mind. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I sent the text, and immediately one came back. Oh, and I'd also said, did you get the email I sent you last week? And the person texted me back and said, no, I didn't get your email, but I see it right now. When I get home, I'll read it. And I know why God put me on, on your mind. It's because I'm really struggling. And so I texted an encouragement, and I'll follow up with this person later. But then, you know, the interesting thing is, I was now back in work mode, and I started thinking of somebody else that had a similar situation, and I picked up my phone, and I started sending another text, and then, and then it was not audible, but it was like, remember why you're here. All right, I'm not here to do work, I'm here to meet with God, but he wanted me to deal with that one thing, and I, and I did, and then it was clear that he was on the other end of that too, because the response came back. We need help discipling others. We need, no, we need to know where to apply our energies and how to do it. And sometimes we need God to give us constraints and say, stop, put the tools down. Think of how Jesus did that with his disciples. There were times when he said, no, come away. We've got to rest. So I want you to assume that God will guide you, that God will speak to you, that he will communicate with you just like he does in the Bible. I want you to ask yourself, do I really want to hear it? And that's an important question because there are some, there are some of us who know God's voice. And the minute we hear it coming, we shut it down. It's like, I know what he's going to say and I don't want to hear it. So I shut, I shut down because I don't want to have to make the changes that following God is going to require. You know, I don't, I don't want to hear that, Lord. It's like, like, if you know somebody in your life is going to ask you to do the thing you don't want to do, you can find a way to, you, before the voice is even given, you know it's coming, you recognize the voice, and you shut it down. Do you want to hear God speak? Do you want that kind of a conversational relationship with the living God? He's offering it. He desires it for you. It's a good, it's the only way to live, in my opinion, but it might require you to change a little bit. Are you willing to do that? And then I want you to expect to get it wrong occasionally. In all of your other relationships, communication breakdowns, they happen regularly. 
you think you've said something, but they heard something different, or you only caught part of the message, or you misinterpreted its, its meaning. This happened when our name change came through, where I heard the Lord say, I'm changing your church's name. And then I jumped to a conclusion of what that name was supposed to be and got it wrong initially, but then we discerned as a body what it actually should be, and our name is what it is because the Lord made it clear. So it's easy to get it wrong, but don't give up hearing because of that. I want to encourage you to learn to hear the voice of God and trust it. And the only way to do that is to practice. So do that. Expect God to speak. Look at the different ways that he speaks in the scriptures and expect he'll do a similar thing in your life. Practice the voice of God. Practice listening to it. And I want to pray now for him to speak to us and encourage us. So let's bow our heads. Lord, as we've already sung, you are good. And we are grateful to have such a good God. Lord, I pray that you would build in each one of us a holy expectation of your divine presence in our life, your guidance and your voice. Make us eager to hear. And Lord, if there are things in our life that might be blocking your voice, make that clear to us that we could remove them. And I pray for grace, Anglican Church. I pray that we would be a church where it is normal to hear your guidance and to share that with one another. Thank you, Lord, for being here. Thank you for speaking. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.